Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, this is Dr. Santos here, pediatric infectious disease doc researcher. And I wanted to talk about something non-controversial this week. Oh, right? that's yeah, always, yeah. That's always the goal. Sure, sure. I mean, it feels like everything's controversial. There's No, there's... no, no, no. We're, our job here is to help shape and mold impressionable minds of all ages. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and to inform in as objective and or mocking a manner as we possibly can. Yeah, uh-huh. And and to bring people's attention to medicine into ways they might not expect. But every now and again, you got to go for the low-hanging fruit and talk about something people are deeply interested in. So I thought, what better than to talk about something that comes up in every medical show Ever. Plastic yeah. surgery. <laughs> There's going to be a couple of sides to this because there is the aspect of plastic surgery, which deals with helping people who have either deformity or who've suffered a trauma versus the elective type of surgery where, you know, people just want to look better, that kind of thing. I, I know there's overlap in between the two. But okay, yeah, so some fun stuff and some, oh my gosh, burned face kind of stuff, I guess. So we're going to take all of you listeners coming to us unaware, and you're going to walk away changed with a different outlook. (laughs) 
Oh, so this is like uh, some plastic surgery for the brain. Maybe it's reconstructive. Maybe okay. it's cosmetic. Okay. okay. Which are I believe that. which are the two major branches of surgery now? At the moment, we do not have a plastic surgeon on with us, so we're really only going to take a very shallow surface look. <laughs> but yeah, sure. But if you are a practitioner and would be interested in you know doing a deeper cut, let us know. Absolutely, yeah. We we'd love to hear from plastic surgeons, and we'd love to hear all of your guys's wants and wishes about uh, what more you'd like to hear on the subject. Absolutely. So reconstructive plastic surgery is performed generally to correct functional impairments caused by trauma, burns, uh, injuries such as facial fractures, um, congenital abnormalities, or things that have been deformed from birth, like cleft palates or club feet. Yep. Uh, developmental abnormalities, sometimes infection and disease, and of course, cancer or tumors. So it covers a lot of ground, and it's more than just what you see on Real Housewives of wherever they're up to. <laughs> yeah. So as a example that a lot of people might know, the Smile Project, Josh, is that right? So that repairs cleft palates and things like that. A lot of that is what's called craniofacial, people who are specialized in the head, in the face, and you know they, they actually take care of a lot of those anomalies. But that type of surgery is also considered plastic reconstructive. Its etymology comes from the Greek. But very simple. Yep. Plastikos just means to mold. Yeah. So <laughs> the surgery yeah. of molding. Imagine, you know, Clayface from Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's not what we usually think of in terms of plastic. Overall, we use plasticity as the term for something that can be shaped. So you can even talk about, for instance, neuroplasticity, which is our brain's ability to adapt and change, especially after trauma. Now, if you had to guess which country was some of the earliest site of plastic surgery, where would you go? Josh, Josh, this is our podcast, and I've known mm -hmm. you for a very long time. Are we going back to ancient Egypt? No, that would be no. Not what? everything was accomplished in ancient what? Egypt, Santa. <laughs> you need to no, get over no. this obsession. What? <laughs> Are you gaslighting me now with your favorite thing? Stop it. No. It wasn't carried out in the Victorian era either. <laughs> uh, no, okay. I figured I would uh, throw you a line here. The okay. earliest reconstructive surgeries that we know of were being carried out in India around 800 BC. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. So though down in uh, my hometowns type of places, and you're you're saying that well, I'm sure they had some surgical technique, especially something like cauterization or amputation. But, you know, usually when we talk about reconstruction, it's fairly fine work and has to be antiseptic and all this kind of thing. So what was going on? Well, the gentleman in question was named Sushruta, a okay. physician who made documented contributions to the fields of plastic surgery in the sixth century. So around, you know, 
800-700 BC. Okay. Uh, he was arguably one of the first cosmetic surgeons. Now, he does mention in the book that plastic surgeries were in existence, so he was not the only one who performed them, but okay. he was the very first one to perform a skin graft, which oh, is a particularly complicated bit of surgery. And I'm assuming this would have been for wounds or burns or something like that. No, you know, funsies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he Just one of these things like, I, no, have you... No, Has no, anyone no, because... here ever wanted to take like some skin and put it where other skin is? I have. <laughs> I, I assure you, Santosh, if you go out into the wide world of the internet, somebody <laughs> oh, has. No. Oh, but, just leave me into my innocence. But Sushruta <laughs> was the first one to perform skin grafts. He and his disciples used a piece of skin from other parts of the body. They would graft it onto the face to correct the general look of the person. And okay. what made his approach so unique was grafting the skin with a very small bridge of tissue where he would take a flap of skin, twist mm -hmm. it over a leaf, and then sew it down. So I sent you in the uh, show notes a picture of this, and it almost looks like someone has a tattooed version of the Ace of Spades. Or a plain yeah. card on their head. <laughs> or uh, it's a flesh kind of bulbous nose. Uh, Josh, I, I mean, we don't talk much physics in here, but the uh, the golden or the metal nose that Tycho Brahe had on his face, the astronomer, it looks a little bit like that, but like flesh rather than metal. The, you asked before about why these procedures were done, this twisted leaf playing card plastic surgery. And sure. that's because there was a lot of customs in neighboring kingdoms of India to cut off the upper lips and noses of enemy soldiers. Ooh, okay. So this was punishment. This is some of the first that we heard. Generally speaking, when we talk about documented history like this, they're probably are other instances in many other cultures, civilizations, but this is kind of the first recorded instance that we could find, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Now, of cool. course, we can speed our way up and head to the Roman Empire. Yay! Plastic surgery in ancient Rome started as a means to remove scars. Uh, and the main reason was people in Rome didn't want scars to be on their back as it was considered shameful and implied that a man had turned his back and run during the war or oh. that he was a slave who had attempted to escape. And those, so, those would be whiplash marks. Okay. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. So, or the fact that you had injuries on your back at all, again, meant that you had turned your back on something under threat. So cowardice. Right. 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 Okay. So plastic surgery, was more cosmetic in ancient Rome. So you had the real housewives of the Roman <laughs> Empire. <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting. I, I I would have thought that if there was surgical techniques going around at this point, and especially in plastics, there would be a little bit more attempt at reconstruction, but that's an interesting take. I mean, if that was such a huge social stigma, and as we're going to continue to learn, it, a lot of this goes around body image and stigma and that kind of thing like that. 
that of course it would be one of the most common things to be addressed. So, wow. The next sort of marker was not until the 1400s. And again, it was the nose. I mean, when it comes to attention from early plastic surgeons, there's nothing to pick like your nose. Yeah. <laughs> you can pick your nose, Josh. You can pick your friends. <laughs> and you can pick your friends' noses if they're real close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a different level. That's a whole, yeah. <laughs> so one of the very first procedures for nasal reconstruction in the Middle Ages, the hmm. primitive precursor to the nose job, is attributed to a surgeon called Antonio Branca. Okay. And it's described by the much more interestingly named Heinrich von Fortfinschbund. <laughs> I can't even attempt to know whether I need to correct you on that. That's awesome. Oh, oh. Fortfinschbund. <laughs> and let's talk about his description of Branca's technique in the seminal 1460 work, Buch der Bunderurzne. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Buch is a book. Um, what's Bunt Erzne? I don't speak German, so I don't <laughs> know. I'm going to guess it has to do with ear, nose, and throat. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I may or may not Google during the course of our recording. <laughs> Let's talk about the technique. He described it as a model of the nose to be replaced is constructed from parchment or leather. Very oh. different from the flap of skin we saw in India. Oh, the model so this isn't is then human. So, Josh, this is actually a prosthesis, then. Well, well, hold on. Okay. The technique that was used was wrapped around a leaf. They took a piece of skin, wrapped a leaf around it with a twist, and then sewed it to the face in India. Here, okay, gotcha. You create a model of the nose from parchment or leather. You okay. then lay the model on a forearm and trace a line around it. Okay. Cut and separate the skin in such a way that the bottom of the flap remains attached to the arm. Now, here's where it gets wild. Uh, okay. The arm is raised the, exactly what you want to hear in the middle of well, plastic surgery, okay. right? Okay. Okay. So just in case, you know, having skin cut out of your arm in front of you, and I've said nothing about anesthesia because it hadn't been invented yet. Okay. Uh, the marked area is cut around, and you the arm is then raised to the head with the okay. flap positioned on the face and uh. stitched to the defect. So now you've got the leather model in place filling the hole where your nose used to be. Okay. Some of your arm skin covering that model, so you've got a leather-filled nose. Okay. Now, but the full amount of skin hasn't been fully detached from your arm, so now your arm is held up. And stitched to your face, so you're staring at the flap of skin dangling from your arm to your fake nose. And then... And then! <laughs> the arm is bound to the head to hold it in place for 8 to 10 days. Oh, okay. Alright, that's very rational, because otherwise you're going to move around, rip it off. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. When the skin has healed to the tissue of the defect, the lower part attached to the arm is cut, freeing the okay. arm and allowing further reconstruction of the nostrils. 
Okay. Oh, neat. Okay. Now, and, well, there's I, illustrations. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We we have some. This is uh, not a visual I sent medium them to right you. now, but yeah. Uh -huh. I sent. Well, okay. For those of you <laughs> at home who are wondering, <laughs> yeah. The first thing I want you to do is go ahead and just raise your hand to, as if you were about to sniff your armpit. In fact, do that yeah. exact sort of yeah. head motion. For sure. those of you yeah. who aren't sure how to turn your head properly, uh, <laughs> and if you listen to our last episode, just put a hanger on your head. Yeah. <laughs> sniff your armpit, and now uh -huh. imagine that while you're doing that, somebody puts one of those dog sh collars of shame on you. But around the arm and the head, not just yeah. around the head. Yeah. Around the arm and the head. Yeah. And now you got to <laughs> go for a week like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, Josh, I mean, this looks insane and uncomfortable. You did send me the picture. So, of course, the first illustration is just it's, it's a noseless man who's looking to his right. So you see him in profile. And you see the incision and a flap of skin hanging down from his bicep, essentially, where, where it is. And then the second one is, you know, he's facing the other way, but his, you know, his, his nose is, his arms over his nose, like draped over his head. And there's the cone of, what would you call it? the cone of shame, right? I will say, Josh, the concept of autografting, and then this idea... When celebrities give you their skin with a signed <laughs> piece of their name on it. Yo, gross. Yeah, gross. Take, take my autograft. <laughs> that's an autograft. No, stop it. So, <laughs> this is... yes, that's what I said, an autograft. No, no, this this is auto meaning self and graft meaning graft. Okay, Stop it. <laughs> so this is... This is really interesting because the idea of allowing healing to go on on a different part of the body when you have, as a, for instance, a severed finger or something like that, this is still used today. This kind of a practice to borrow one piece of tissue from one part of the body to the other to help, you know, the, the, the uh, injured part heal. So it's awkward. It's weird, but it's not entirely disparate from what we do even in the modern world i mean nobody does this anymore <laughs> a few cones of shame here and there probably would not go awry but yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true but okay jumpy mick impatient pants let's talk about syphilis one of the more common reasons for the entire field of plastic surgery Yay! from the 16th <laughs> century onward I mean, I'm not celebrating syphilis. I'm celebrating, you know, treatments and cures for syphilis. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you one more example, and then you can go off on an infectious tangent about syphilis. But <laughs> you'll keep it short. I don't want Pinocchio lens. <laughs> Josh, what if that became the next plastic surgery craze of just like, oh, yes, a long sensual nose. <laughs> like you Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pinocchio, dokie yeah but the although we already spoke about one of the earliest founders of plastic surgery in india modern medicine names as one of the fathers of plastic surgery 16th century italian 
Gaspar Tagliacozzi, who nice. first okay. started nose grafting with skin flaps again from the upper arm for okay. syphilis, and he used techniques to correct the saddle nose deformity. So let's revisit syphilis and talk mm-hmm. about saddle nose. Why do they call it that? What horrifying reason could <laughs> such a descriptive name evoke? Yeah. <laughs> so syphilis, of course, sexually transmitted disease. The main manifestation that you see as time goes on are these soft tumors that invade the tissues. We call these gummas. I know, sounds very highly technical, right? If these kind of diseases go on in the brain, you get neurosyphilis. If they happen in the bone, what you get is slow destruction of that bone. So in long bones, you can get deformity where your arms or legs kind of bow. In your face, Josh, the bony part of your nose where, you know, the trypanema will go in there, create a gumma, okay? And then that nice, beautiful, rigid part of your nose that gives your nose shape starts to deform and get eaten away. So what'll happen is the bridge of your nose will sag inwards, will become more and more concave. And if you were to imagine like kind of you're laying down like sick with syphilis with your eyes to the sky. So you're, you're supine. Then you would imagine that the depression created by that loss of bone in your nose would look a little bit like a saddle. So it's really sad. Let's start moving now into the modern world. Uh, the, in the post-industrial revolution. Okay. And now we go into 1900s Italy when Gustavo Senevero Rosselli was appointed the director in Milan at the Padiglione de Mutilati del Viso, which I believe roughly translates to building of mutilation of the visage. Oh, oh dear. Well, that's not a... No, no, it's it's probably plastic surgery. It's a modern so age, the, plastic the, surgery. <laughs> the visage meaning the face. So hospital for mutilated mutilated faces is what you're saying. So yes. not, not where they mutilate, but where the mutilated go to get healed. <laughs> this was okay. the first hospital in 1929 devoted mm-hmm. solely to plastic surgery in Italy. It became a national referral center, and many foreign surgeons took the time to visit it specifically following World War One. So now we're talking about an age where, you know, the American Civil War has passed and we're kind of in an age of explosives and some chemical weapons and stuff. A lot of things that can cause horrific wounds and injuries to the face especially. So it's an opportune time. It's a very important time for this type of uh, surgery to be developed. We're talking about trench warfare yes. with chemical weapons that were horribly disfiguring when you still really got in and up somebody's face yeah. to to kill them. And a lot of surgeons, including yes. uh, Sir Harold Delph Gillies, okay. Sir Arbutnot Lane. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how to pronounce it. Sure, go ahead. You have the show notes. I don't, uh, I don't know how to do it either. It looks like Arbuthnot. Varastid Kazanjian. Mm-hmm. 
John Stage Davis, and Jerome Pierce Webster. A lot of varied and different people here from, uh, looks like at least across Europe, if not even further out. The main significant step that these folks brought is they together became the American Association of Plastic Surgeons, founded oh. as a direct result of the events of World War One, And they relied for their plastic surgery on the growth and development of a blood supply into the grafted tissue. Which oh. is something that apparently was not mentioned in any of the earlier instances. They're just like, well, we're going to sew the skin to the face and hope it takes. Uh, <laughs> as of as a result of war, they're like, it needs a blood supply. I'll mention one thing here real quick, Josh. Around this period of time, and uh, maybe a little bit before, and we're talking about maybe in a hundred year gap in here, we're we're still... Uh, not developing, but the the idea of circulation of the blood is becoming more and more prominent. So that knowledge had to find its way into medicine first. Now, you mentioned the saddle nose deformity. Let's talk about why that's a particularly useful and yet tricky surgery. Yes. Adding substance to the human body is harder than subtracting it, right? You yeah. can't create something from nothing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Correct. So some surgeons, as we've seen, had attempted to build up noses using internal prosthetics or bone and cartilage, but this is challenging and often unsuccessful. The human body has this unfortunate tendency to reject foreign substances, even even ones that they give rich people like ivory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird that you can't put enough money into a graft or prosthesis in order for <laughs> in order for it to develop a blood supply and become a permanent part of your face yeah so uh, it made it very difficult now they also looked at paraffin yes you heard sure. me paraffin <laughs> seemed like the ideal plastic surgery substance yeah. it's easy to inject didn't mm -hmm. require any cutting <laughs> and once inside the body, it's inert. It yeah, wasn't yeah. Setting it, off any kind of uh, any alarms. Yeah, yeah. So no inflammatory reaction, no hives, no allergy. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, right? <laughs> sure. What better thing than actual plastic? One small problem: it has this unfortunate tendency to kind of melt or migrate if the patient spent too much time in the sun. You go out tanning and your nose could quite literally <laughs> crawl off your face. Oh, no. Yeah, because, of course, paraffin and wax are used to make candles. Like, as it melts down the wick, you know, the, the light stays on. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and having it inside your body, patients began to develop paraffinomas or wax cancers and this sparked a withdrawal of all the paraffin. And okay. removing it, getting a liquid out of the tubes, proved to be much more difficult than injecting it and often left the patient severely scarred. Oh. So let's talk about a few of the, uh, the other crazy kinds of surgeries you may see that are more reconstructive. And then we'll get to cosmetic. One of my favorite ones is rotationplasty. Yeah, Are yeah. Are you familiar but... with this? <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds a little wacky when we talk about it, but it has become a foundation of, you know, how to give someone who's had an amputation their function back. 
Um, but just the description of it for anybody who's weak of stomach is going to sound a little, you know, like, you know, Dr. Frankenstein-ish. So well, just... <laughs> the, the Cliff's Notes version is it lets the ankle be used as a knee joint. Yes, exactly. The slightly longer version is it's the surgical removal of the bottom of the femur, mm-hmm. the knee, and the upper tibia. Yep. You then take the leg and rotate it 180 degrees and reattach <laughs> it to the thigh. So basically the, the, the foot, foot is the attached. Foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the foot is attached. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Attached to the knee, backward. <laughs> then, the foot bones then... Are, the foot bones connected to the thigh bone. Yeah, exactly. Then, <laughs> you put the prosthetic leg on that new backward facing foot and the ankle will function as your new knee. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the cool part about this that a lot of people, well, they may or may not know the surgery is often done because you have something like cancer in your femur or in your upper tibia, where in order to create what's called a wide excision to take out the, you know, the bulk of the cancer and not leave any behind that you've got to take all of that stretch of bone out. Okay. So you're left with the ankle uh, at, you know, a little above the ankle, what we call the distal tibia and fibula and the thigh bone. Okay. You do have to have enough tissue at both sides in order to do this. So you can't do it with any excision. It's got to be, you know, the right size at least. And then this is the cool part, Josh. When they do spin the foot and ankle around and attach it back up to your thigh bone, there's preserved nerves and musculature (laughs) so that the, that that person can still control that flexion, right? So it's not just like a floppy knee joint. It's actually innervated and they can move it. Now, this is most commonly done, as you mentioned, in kids with bone tumors uh, who could then join pirates because you were talking <laughs> about ableism, Santos. Yes, no, that's true, yeah. 17th century pirates were the least ableist people ever. They're like, lost a leg? No problem. Here's a peg. You yeah. know, lost... <laughs> Lost your hand? Let's get a hook on that sucker. That'll scare yeah. the daylights out of people. <laughs> yeah. Blind? Uh-huh. Throw a patch on it. Hell, throw two. Want a helper <laughs> monkey? Parrot? Take your pick. <laughs> We're being a little stereotypical here, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not every pirate had a peg leg, but every disability could be accepted. Sure, absolutely, yes. Let's go to another fun, helpful, and nightmare-inducing surgery called tooth in eye surgery or <laughs> oop, O-O-K-P 
<laughs> or if you want the actual name, yeah. osteoodontocaratoprosthesis. Hey, that was well done. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever wondered if it's possible to use a tooth to restore somebody's sight? <laughs> Until you sent me these show notes? No, no, I did not. <laughs> well, not even a little. <laughs> well, back in the 60s, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and these folks who definitely were not on acid to come up with this idea. <laughs> Okay, okay. By the way, this is still in use for patients for whom presumably all other treatment methods have failed and they have to journey into the high mountains like Dr. Strange. Uh, <laughs> sure. Because yeah. the procedure involves the removal of a patient's canine or premolar tooth. Okay, yeah. The, the which, is because, yeah. <laughs> which is because the patient's own tooth is unlikely to be rejected. A okay. hole is then drilled in the tooth and a new plastic lens is inserted. Oh, oh okay, okay. So the tooth is is uh, kind of a frame for the for the lens. Okay. For the new lens that will go okay. over your eye. Gotcha. The lens tooth structure is then implanted into the cheek where it grows new blood vessels over a few months. <laughs> oh, this is a multi-step. Okay, all right, go ahead. Then you take uh, this hole-drilled, lens-filled tooth overgrown with blood vessels out of the cheek. You pry okay. it loose <laughs> and implant it into the eye. In, in two. Light in two. In two, yes. yes the yes. the holy vessel-covered, lens-filled bone from the yeah. cheek into the eye. Light is then able to travel through the lens restoring the patient's vision in the most beautiful subversion of HP Lovecraft I've ever seen to the point that I don't even know if this technically is a plastic surgery. I just learned about it and needed to find any flimsy excuse to share with the world because I've got weird hangups about teeth. I, I definitely can see how plastic surgery, reconstructive surgery is involved in this type of a procedure and this would be very important, Josh, before we have the type of material science that we have nowadays, where we have things like, you know, uh, foldable lenses, which you can, you know, just flex in and put in a tiny incision after you destroy the original lens of the eye. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you're right. It's, it's inert. It's bone and enamel. And it would be a great little tiny, like a, a window frame that you could put. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the pitch for that? The informed <laughs> consent. I want to know that. Like it's it's the nineteen sixties, so yeah. presumably whoever's walking in has long hair, and they're like, "All right, all right, brother, all right, brother." So or sister, or sister, absolutely. All yeah. Right, all right, I... let me give it to you straight. I've got a way for you to see again. It's a little unorthodox. <laughs> I w- I want to take your I want to take your tooth out, okay? Yeah. Drill a hole in it. All right. Put in a lens. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Then, stick it in then your... I want to yeah. then I want to take that new tooth, throw it in your cheek. Okay, <laughs> came right out of there. Seems a little <laughs> unnecessary. Extra steps, but okay. Groovy. We're vibing, free love. Yeah. We're going to let it sit there for a couple weeks. 
Okay. A couple of weeks. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So long enough for Jimi Hendrix to do a set. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he finishes uh, along the watch. Then sure. we're going to take it out of your mouth. Great. That's where we started. <laughs> and shove it in your eye. Excuse me. <laughs> for this to work, you do have to have a functioning retina. So this wouldn't work, Josh, for something like macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy. This would probably be for something like what? Like a, a cataract? Yeah, it would be for anything that had irreplaceably damaged the lens of the got, eye. Got it. Got it. Okay, so anterior uh, chamber trauma. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so this would make a lot of sense. Now, of course, some drawbacks here with modern foldable and prosthetic lenses and stuff. Um, it can flex, so you can accommodate, see things far away, close up. This thing's going to be static, right? So you're going to have to wear glasses. But at least, you know, the world isn't like a hazy cloud anymore. That's pretty awesome. Well, let's get back to actual plastic surgery. I, <laughs> I know I veered off a little. Yeah, yeah. And Okay. But that was also reconstructive types of surgery, and that's really what I wanted to emphasize. Yeah, that's now, so awesome. Now <laughs> let's go to cosmetic. I'm going to spend all the rest of the night looking up these too-thin-eye surgeries. I just, I oh, can't get no need. This. The next time you go to sleep, you'll just dream of somebody looking yeah. at you through teeth. <laughs> this is like something out of Pan's Labyrinth. Or something. Is, I, I need desperately to be a fly on the wall when the inventor of this procedure was like... Now, yeah, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Now, we talked about reconstructive surgery. Let's cover cosmetic surgery. If we're speaking about plastic surgery in terms of making somebody appear cosmetically appealing, mm -hmm. then yeah, Santosh, we can, we can go with your initial thought and head back to ancient Egypt. Uh, oh, oh, cool. Because okay. the very first mention of something plastic would be after somebody broke their nose, because why not? <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. But most plastic surgery in Egypt was post-mortem. After you died, they would enhance your most prominent features, uh, depending on how much money or your you know, social station in, during life. So Ramses II had several bones and seeds stuffed up his various orifices to make, <laughs> him, appear more, to make him appear more regal during the mummification process. Oh, okay. So, I, I mean, still... Plastic surgery, I mean, there's there's surgical techniques being applied, etc. But this is kind of in the realm of the, well, entirely in the realm of the mortician. Okay. Of plastic surgery that people tend to know, again, Real Housewives, uh, facelifts. <laughs> sure. Very first one performed in 1931. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the history of the other, perhaps even more famous kind of plastic surgery. Okay. Breast enlargement. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, everybody's favorite. Yeah. The subject of uh, boobies. Sure. Absolutely. It is pretty fascinating. <laughs> okay. So you're probably going to lead us through before we had the modern, you know, like inert materials and silicone molds and that kind of a thing. So yeah. What's up? What do we so got? In the 19th century, the very first breast enlargement procedure was done using artificial implants made from rubber, uh -huh. 
paraffin. You oh, remember dear. paraffin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining if this uh, lady of leisure decided to travel and I'm going to go on safari. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rubber, paraffin, okay. uh-huh. ivory. Oh, what? <laughs> and. Okay. Glass. No, oh, absolute nope. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Imagine walking around with breasts made from any of those materials, much less all of them together. Go on. Where, I'll wait. Where are you gonna put the where are you gonna put the ivory? Where why glass? Why? <laughs> Damn it you, sounds, why? It sounds like the original implants were made out of every terrible idea from a romance writer. <laughs> Just people <laughs> like you know where you have that weird meme of people just you know like one person standing in the middle but then he grows like 17 arms of whoo, whoo, whoo. <laughs> like <laughs> just throwing it into the pot like that just imagine any line out of a cheap romance novel sure her breasts were <laughs> rubbery <laughs> smooth like glass <laughs> elegant like ivory uh, waxy like paraffin maybe all four together uh, anyway oh, the, okay. I'm guessing the first some of these are used for different structures and that kind of a thing so I, I okay gotcha okay uh, the breast surgery was done by Czerny in 1895 who performed the first successful mammary reconstruction on an actress who had undergone a cancerous surgery and removal of a breast tumor. Okay. So, and this is where we have that overlap that we were discussing earlier, Josh, with reconstructive and cosmetic being one and the same in this case. However, in the U.S., breast implants have almost from the beginning been, if not a scam, then certainly a marketing paradise. Because oh, no. in 1903, okay. Charles C. Miller of Chicago okay. introduced breast augmentation surgery in the USA. He used silk floss and silk, celluloid, okay. and many other foreign materials, foreign exotic materials for <laughs> breast implants. Okay. In 1906, um. he began to publish articles on what he called featural surgery. Uh, as in a, features, like making making features. Okay. An ongoing monthly series that appeared in county, state, and even some national medical journals. In 1907 alone, I know you'll appreciate this, Santosh, as a researcher. Sure. In 1907, he published over 26 articles, as well as a textbook entitled Cosmetic Surgery, The Correction of Featural Imperfections. <laughs> that's okay so he's already not quite body shaming but uh, i'm and i'm assuming his imperfections are his subjective opinion there but yeah okay gotcha i mean he did advance the the field okay uh, uh, absolutely and as you mentioned with the actress who had had breast cancer you know, oftentimes this was serving as reconstruction, not just as a, you know, like a vanity project kind of a thing. But he went around peddling and just the sheer amount of papers he published, while all of them were you know, technically accurate, 
a lot of them were sort of the nobody asked for this, but okay, <laughs> sure. A a solution looking for a problem. There were several steps that led it to where it is today, but thankfully we've now moved on a lot from well, before we before we move on to the next and final plastic surgical thing I want to address. Sure. If you had okay. to guess, Santosh, yeah. where what country offers the cheapest breast implant surgery? And we've talked a little bit about medical tourism before in terms of not just cost, but where one would go to get the expertise in order to do this. Yes. However, as a point of academic interest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this would be, you know, as a, for instance, we were talking about, you know, penis reconstruction, uh, you know, Thailand uh, being mm-hmm. a hotspot, meaning that there was a lot of expertise there. The procedure was done a lot there and more than likely cost saving as well if you needed to go there or if you could go over there. Um well, I guess, you know, maybe breast augmentation is done the most in, <laughs> I guess, I, is it the United States? Is it just where, like, it's so common? Oh, live here? a little. Cheapest. <laughs> I said, where do you think is the cheapest place to get breast implants? The cheapest place? Uh, the okay. U.S. is neither the cheapest nor the best. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So I I don't know where else. I mean, we we have a lot of people here in Hollywood and Los Angeles that go just south of the border to Mexico. Is it Mexico? It's the Czech Republic. The Czech? Oh, my God. So all the way to Prague. That's the cheapest, which averages around 2,200 pounds. Okay. Versus uh, the best place in Europe, or even the best in the world, among the top is Turkey, apparently. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know that I would have guessed that as a center. I mean, I don't know anything in social or pop culture or anything like that that would point me in that direction. But okay, that's interesting. Now, if you want something in the Goldilocks zone of both affordable and high class, then Lithuania is going to be your bet. <laughs> so the former Soviet bloc. Okay. Right? I, Are you noticing? Are you noticing a trend? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, heavily in Eastern Europe. Uh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Very, very Now, of course, there is, there is a brisk medical tourism to Tijuana and others, but I simply, I found the overall market and historical aspects of this fascinating. So, yeah. but let's move on to real medical crises like tobesity. <laughs> Josh, that's not a word. Did you just oh, no? like a, you smash together the word toe and obesity? Oh, please don't. No. It's Sir, you don't even have to go to Urban Dictionary. You can oh. just enter your Google machine. No. I don't want to. Because in this, the year of our Lord, 2022. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Fear of what your foot may look like in a nude state as we return to public. <laughs> People have been going to surgeons and asking for a way to slim down their little piggies who <laughs> insist on going to market. Oh, oh, this is like, I mean, you're saying like it's sandal weather and I'm going to the beach. 
Now, there, there's a lot of foot, you know, reconstructive and cosmetic surgery, you know, dealing with like bunions and bone spurs and all this kind of a thing. But like, how do you even determine if a toe is fat or skinny or anything? Like, who measures that? While the actual procedure was <laughs> developed for folks who have things like hammer toe and do need corrective surgery, the okay. cosmetic version yeah. okay. can cost around $2,500, and it's just the removal of fat and bone to make the toe smaller. S slimmer. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. Tobesity. Now. <laughs> oh, jeez. This is so disappointing that people are If that doesn't cause you to... If that doesn't cause you to bat an eye, well then, <laughs> let me tell you next about eyelash transplants. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> okay, now this one uh, I've heard about at least because, Josh, I, I don't know if you remember a little while back because here in the United States we have the awful practice of actually advertising drugs on TV, which is so horrible. But there was a product which was like hair growth for people who had things like alopecia, were losing their eyelashes, where you could... Watch out for Will Smith! What? <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, but no, but if that happened, there was there was a medical approach to it where th there was some sort of hair growth, you know, pharmaceutical that you could paint on your eyelid on the edge of your eyelid to help your eyelashes grow. And even then, I mean, I was like, oh, this there, you know, our eyelashes are kind of sort of vestigial that you don't need them a ton. <laughs> Why? Hey, hey, yeah, they are. They exist to keep things like grit and bugs out of your <laughs> eyes. They're they're a pretty weak ass security system. Yeah, well, because it's it's from when we were you know in, in much wilder times and needed to protect ourselves from like a lot of dirt and grit. You know, we have houses hey, now. <laughs> Satosh, while you and I can flaunt our eyelashes like the pompously <laughs> arrogant lash sultans of old, <laughs> lash sultans. Some poor folk. Okay. Some poor folk, presumably, you know, in a developing country, had to grow up with no lashes, or you're a, you're suffer scarf. conditions, or suffer conditions that had their lashes to be pulled out or even fall out. Oh. So, uh, okay. So, cue sad Sarah McLaughlin music. <laughs> this is don't you dare. There is no. Third world person coming in just for an eyelash transplant. I can. They if you can't even me, blink. They can't even blink those big eyelashes at you to gain your sympathy, Santosh, because they don't have them. <laughs> you stop it. You stop it right now. In the this arms is a of the angel. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Some people want eyelashes and they're willing to get. Needles stuck into the edge of their eyelids to well, remove a follicle. Oh dear God! No, to remove no. a follicle. The actual procedure is to remove hairs from the back of your head and yeah. sew them into your eyelids. Yeah. <laughs> so your new lashes, yeah, those long, luxurious lashes, uh -huh. are head hairs, which means they will keep growing. Which is why. <laughs> 
<laughs> once a week after getting them yeah. for a period of time I could not find specified, you have to trim you have to trim your new transplants. Your eyelashes need yeah. a haircut yeah. <laughs> so they don't droop down over your face. Yeah, of course they would. Okay, so you are transplanting the follicle, not just the hair. Okay. So many children grow up oh. without the long <laughs> lashes. Please, won't no. you help them? Uh, no, for no. Only. You will not help them, no. So that's it for this week. <laughs> I hope that's it for this week. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I hope... You've all managed to learn something you didn't know about plastic surgery. Yeah. I know Santosh did. Yeah, yeah. It better be a just the tip coming. It better not be the tip of an eyelash either. Okay, where do you want to take us? Are you, are you going to take us back to the Czech Republic for, uh, you know, the, the breast, tra- uh, what do you call it? Breast implants? No, I'm actually going to take you to uh, the Plastic Surgery Museum in Seoul, South Korea. The BK Plastic Surgery Museum. In a 16-story plastic surgery clinic, there's a museum located on the second floor that offers a pretty impressive overview of procedures in Korea from eye, nose, total face, and body changes. Uh, I believe it is still open. It's near Sinsa Station. Now, it's a touch-and-feel museum. There's samples exhibited so you can see for yourself. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So, you know, bring the kids. It's a family-friendly museum. <laughs> that's so neat. Reach, so, go ahead and reach into that box of eyelids. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So you can't touch all of the exhibits, but, it, you know, I, I guess you can actually well, you know, it, touch and feel quite a few of them in terms of learning materials and stuff that, was used as a history of plastic surgery throughout the times. Admission is free, and at the very end, if you feel compelled to get some work done, well, you can, of course, schedule an impromptu consultation with a specialist on any of the other 15 floors. Oh, so it's it's not just a museum, then it's functional. Yeah, uh, my favorite exhibit, though, is the... There's a little group of, of well, jawbones, uh, or... <laughs> There's a sign above it, and this is one of the ones that you can reach in and feel. According to a Korean proverb, a tiger leaves his coat after his death, and a patient undergoing jaw reduction surgery leaves a piece of bone after his operation. It's a post-surgical tip jar slash museum exhibit. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Nice. <laughs> so That's a great way you know, to do it. Josh, Josh, we, we got to set up like a... You're a an little... infectious disease doctor. Don't finish that thought. <laughs> so uh, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And as always, until next time, wash your hands, get your shot, wear a mask, if you're in big crowds or immunocompromised, find a plane ticket. Look for a cool medical thing to do in that country. Hopefully a tourist attraction and not a <laughs> clinical visit. Yeah. And when you've done all of that, mm-hmm. pack your bags and happy travels. Bye, guys. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.